Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. One of the many wonderful things about being alive at this time in the world is the fact that we know so much more today about what are the most important things. First and foremost, of course, for our tribe here on Seek Reality is the fact that now for the first time in history, we're coming to understand what actually happens at and after death and how that life fits together with this life. But people today also think much more deeply. Even 20 or 30 years ago, we're still trying to back then find our deepest answers in religions and in ancient thought traditions, and that was clumsy. It didn't fit. Now, though, more and more people are distilling old ways of thinking and approaching them in refreshing new, new ways. Of late, I've been trying to share with you some of what I think are the most interesting current thinkers, people who are reinventing patterns of living in ways of better understanding ourselves. And our guest today is one such young thought thought leader. He's an Instagram star. I've never been on Instagram, but he's a star there. And although he's young, he's already done a tremendous amount of living and learning. And he has written the best spiritual book that I have ever read, which is, as you know, for me, is that saying a lot. Coot Blackson has been a public speaker since he was eight years old when he spoke in front of 3,000 people in his father's megachurch. He's an inspiring speaker who offers a fresh look at spiritual awareness for a whole new generation, and I would argue for, for all, all generations. His second book is just out, and it's amazing. It's called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. He had an especially fascinating life, and uh, it began when he was born in Ghana, uh, West Africa, and he had a Japanese mother and a Ghanaian father. We're going to tell their story because I've never heard anything so amazing. And you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a great genetic combination, but it's actually a wonderful cultural combination. It seems more to have helped to shape who he is now, maybe than anything else. He's an inspirational speaker. He teaches authentic leadership and empowerment. And he received, I had not heard of this, but apparently it's a big deal. The 2019 Walden Award in the New Thought Wisdom category that the Unity Organization awards once a year. Oprah Winfrey won it one year. In 2019, it was won by our guest today. He says that his mission is simple. He wants to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Coot, welcome. I am so happy to have you with us today. So happy to be here. Thank you so much. I'm I'm so privileged to know that uh, you really loved the book and you felt it was one of the best spiritual books you've read. It really, really lights up my heart. Well, the thing is, it it not only do I think that that's that's true, but it also sums up better than I could what I have learned. Mm. And I'm in my seventies. You're very mm. young. I'm I'm pretty mm. old. What I have learned in my whole long life of studying Christianity, studying other religions, studying learning from people who are now in the afterlife, because I'm an expert in that area too. When I put mm. together everything I've learned in the spiritual field, you express it better than I do. 
Wow. So, so I don't know how you learned all that. And one of the things I'm going to ask you today is give us a sense of how you learned it. Did you just learn it by living? Did you, uh, you know, what, what made up the stew that, that now you're, you're serving up that is so wonderful. But first, people like to know a little bit about history, and you have an especially interesting history. So tell us just very briefly about your history. And then I want to talk about how your parents met. Yeah, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London, uh, moved to the US when I was 18 in pursuit of the American dream. But from a very young age, I remember being age five, age six, I always felt a deep calling to help people. I was a very sensitive kid. So I felt uh, I felt people's pain. And so there was always a deep desire and, uh, and, and inspiration to help people and alleviate suffering in some way. Uh, my first memories as a young boy that really impacted me, and I think also started to shape my viewpoint and worldview was I remember being around age six, age seven, I was a chubby kid in Ghana, West Africa, lost in the crowd. And I saw this man, I saw this woman, excuse me, a crippled woman pick up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face. And so week after week, I grew up seeing the same man who said she picked up look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, hey, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, people getting cured of this, all sorts of incurable diseases. And so this man was my father. My father was considered a miracle worker, miracle man of Africa, they called him. He built 300 churches in Ghana, a huge church in London, about 5,000 people every Sunday. And so he had hundreds of thousands of people in his, in his congregation. And this, this was my father, a very mystical, spiritual man, uh, a metaphysician in a certain way. My mother was Buddhist. So I grew up in this spiritual environment. And from a very young age, uh, I think I just began to ask myself the questions as I looked at the world. A lot of things didn't make sense to me. I would see people who seemed to have every reason to be happy, but were miserable. And I would see some people in my father's church, as an example, his congregants who didn't have very much, but they seemed to be fulfilled and happy and generous. And so for me, things didn't make sense. And I began to ask myself the questions from a very young age. Who am I and why am I here? And what's the purpose of life? And is the purpose of life just to wake up, go to work, eat, make money, go on vacation, buy a house and a car and then die? Like surely yes. there has to be more to this thing called life, right? And, yes. and so that began my quest. And then age eight, my father throws me uh, on stage. I had no desire to be on stage at age eight. I had more of a desire to play soccer or football as we called it in the UK. And, and uh, my father threw me on stage and said, my son is going to give the sermon and speak. And that began my speaking career, age 14. I was ordained as a minister in my father's ministry. And I was given the mandate to take over his entire ministry. Uh, but the truth is, Roberta, the truth was that when that happened, my heart sank because I knew deep in my heart the truth that this was not my path. This was not my destiny. This was not what I wanted to do. I felt a calling to help people, but it wasn't through religion or the church or some organized structure. And so, you know, I went through with it for four years and to much conflict and turmoil. But when I turned 18, and by the way, during that time, you ask, how did I start? From age eight, I started becoming obsessed with self-help books and spirituality. And so at age eight, I remember picking up my very first self-help book, 
a woman called Shakti Gawain created visualization. And then I started devouring Louise Hay, Dan Millman, Deepak Chopra, you know, Marianne Williamson, to Zig Ziglar, to Jim Rohn, to Dennis Waitley, to the motivational, to the Eastern mystics of Krishnamurti. And this became my, my passion, my obsession, my quest to try to understand life. And so from 14 to 18, I went through a deep soul searching. And when I became 18, I had to make a decision. Do I go to university? I chose not to go to university, but I also decided that I could could I saw I had two paths. I could follow the expected path, the path that everybody, my father and everyone expected me to follow, which was in his footsteps. I could follow this path and be successful by everyone else's standards. And I projected into the future, age 20, age 30, age 40. But I realized if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my integrity, if I didn't have my truth, then what do I have? What do I have? What kind of success is that? And, and I started seeing very clearly that you, you can't be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. Neither can you be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that will not. And my soul was calling me to come to America, specifically Los Angeles. I wanted to come to Los Angeles and go into the self-help field. This is where all, all of my um, mentors and icons were Jack Canfield's of the world, Mark Victor Hansen's, Jack Canfield's, Tony Robbins's, Marianne Williamson's, Louise Hayes. They, they were all in Los Angeles and San Diego. And so I wanted to come here and go into this field. And this was my dream. I would sneak into my father's church. We lived behind my father's church. And I would sneak into my father's church in the middle of the night with dreams in my heart of inspiring people with the lights off in the pitch black, Roberta. And I would speak and give seminars. People don't know this, but oh from age God. 11, from age 11 to age 18, I would literally, you know, imagine two, three hours a night after homework, five, six hours a day on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I would give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining I was inspiring thousands of people. This was my reality. This was my vision. It wasn't just a business, you know, it was like my calling and, and, and it was my dream. It was my dream. And, and when I turned 18, I had to make a decision. And my soul was calling me in an unknown direction, go to America. I had no money, no money support from my family but I knew that my soul was calling me and I believe that when we follow our souls even if it doesn't make sense and sometimes what your soul guides you to do doesn't always make sense isn't always convenient but I believe that when we follow our souls we will always end up in the right place even if it doesn't make sense in a particular moment so I had the conversation with my father which was a very scary and difficult conversation oh, sure. that, that I wasn't going to take over his churches and cut a long story short we didn't speak for two years. I ended up winning a green card in the lottery. That was confirmation for me. The green card lottery is a DV1 green card lottery. The American government gives away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery to increase diversity. And I ended up winning. And that was confirmation for me that, that I was on the right path, that the universe was, was at my back and supporting me. And I won my green card and came to the US with two suitcases, one suitcase full of clothes, one suitcase full of, of, of books and inspirational you know, audio tapes and eight, maybe a thousand dollars and showed up in Los Angeles and went and found teachers and mentors. And over the years as a young man, as a very young man, you know, I started traveling. I went to Israel, studied with rabbis. I went to Thailand, studied with monks. I went to, to uh, Indonesia, studied with shamans. And then I ended up in India and walked the Camino in Northern Spain, trying to find myself. Then I ended up in India and had some very profound spiritual awakening experiences in India. And it was really from that, that I came back to the US also and wanted to inspire people. And then 
I started one-on-one and then it grew one-on-five, then it grew one-on-two and it just kept expanding organically from there. But for me, it's always been a mission to inspire and serve and, and help people remember who they really are. And, and that's been the, the, the nutshell version of my path. Wow. Well, that explains a lot. That explains why you're so sophisticated, so well-educated in spiritual matters, of course. Mm-hmm. But you've, you haven't just distilled it all. You've taken it the next step mm. and summarized it, what it really means in each mm. individual life, how to put it together, how mm. to use, it's, it's sort of a two-step thing you've done. You've first put it together and distilled it into the word surrender. And then mm. you've taken that word surrender where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. And I, th- in, in each person's life, and I've never seen anybody do that. It's, uh. this is everyone. I'm sorry. I think I may have, never said this before, but if you're going to read one spiritual book, Coop Laxon's book is the one you should read because you won't need any other books, <laughs> including my own on spiritual matters, wow. if, you, if you've read his book, wow. because he puts it all together and he makes it sensible to people, mm, um, mm. which I love. But I think your mother was part of that. I went yes, that yeah, story can, because that's like mm. the neatest story I've ever heard. Of a, this, is, this is an unusual love story, everyone. Yeah, the love story. People always ask, well, how Japanese and Ghanaian, how did that happen? We're talking in the 70s, you know, before, yes. before <laughs> there was travel and internet and, and connectivity. And so, um, so here's the short version of the story. When my father, you know, my father was born on a concrete floor in the middle of uh, outskirts of, of, of a jungle, basically, in Africa. And so when my father was born to, to, to pretty much poverty, um, there wasn't a lot. And when he was age eight, he would have these visions of a Japanese guru, a Japanese meditation spiritual teacher. This man, his name is Masaharu Taniguchi, would come to him. He was like the, the Japanese Yogananda, basically. Yes? And so this man would come to him, my father, in his dreams and teach him about the cosmos, the nature of reality, life. As an eight-year-old in Ghana, West Africa, my father, when he was 15, became a born-again Christian, had a conversion to Christianity, and he started healing people because he figured, well, Jesus said the things I do, you can do these things and more. So I'm just going to believe Jesus. And he starts putting his hands on people and people start getting healed, blind wow. seeing. And so my father built a huge congregation, hundreds of thousands of people in Ghana, became the spiritual teacher to kings and the president and on and on, all dignitaries from all over West Africa and Africa. And, and so he was a very famous guy. And when my father, my father had his first wife, she passed away. He had three kids. When he was 37 years old, in the mid-70s, he was in a store. A book fall, basically falls off the shelf. Now in life, there's no coincidences. If anything, we just fail to see the clues in the moment because we're not paying attention. And so a book falls off the shelf. He picks up the back of the book. He sees the face of this Japanese man. He's shocked because he doesn't think, he doesn't know that this man actually exists. So he writes to this Japanese man. And he says, you've been coming to me in my dream since I was eight. I'm now 37, 38 years old. I'm shocked. I'm surprised. I didn't know you were real. Uh, I feel like you're my spiritual father. The man, because there was no internet, there was no Zoom, FaceTime to have communication. The man sends his son-in-law 
to Ghana to meet my father, I guess, to check him out. The man is so impressed with my father that he invites my father to Japan a few months later to go on a lecture tour and meet the guru. So he wants my father to go on a tour with the guru and meet the guru and make the connection. My father accepts. My father is not married and my father says, I'm looking for a wife now. My first wife has died. Please pray for me. I believe in the power of intention and prayer. The son-in-law says, absolutely. He goes back to Japan, Tokyo. He gives a lecture and he announces the dates that my father is going to come to Japan to meet the guru and go on a tour. My mother is 28 years old. Now in Japan in the 70s at 28 years old, if you're not married, that's considered old. Okay, that's like your life is over. basically. Right. And so she's 28. She's not married. No, no, she's not feeling the alignment with anyone. She's and 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 this Japanese guru was her spiritual teacher. It was her parents' teacher, her teacher. She grew up in this spiritual organization. And so my mother is wanting a husband. No one is showing up. She makes a prayer. I think her prayer was very powerful. And I would say that this is why, this is why The Magic of Surrender was the book I was born to write because I was born out of surrender. My mother yes. basically says, God, I will marry anyone, anyone you tell me to marry. I don't care, tall, short, black, white, green, orange. Now, bear in mind, my mother had never been out of Japan. She'd never seen a white person, let alone an African person, let alone a black person. She doesn't speak English. She does, you know, it's, it's just like another world, another reality. And so she says, I'll marry anyone you tell me to marry. Just make it clear in my soul that this is my destined life partner in this lifetime. She is listening to this Japanese man talking about my father coming on the tour. She feels chills in her body. She says, this is my husband. Oh she, my writes, she, she writes to my father. Nothing romantic, by the way. Japanese people are a little shy. Nothing romantic. Right. My father happens to be in London on his way to Ghana. A letter gets rerouted to him. He goes to the mailbox. He picks up the envelope. He opens the envelope. Nothing romantic. Just, hey, looking forward to seeing you speaking in Japan. He says, this is my wife. He has a knowing. This is my wife. <laughs> he writes to my mother. Bear in mind, no internet, no phone. He writes to my mother, Roberta, and says, Would, this is his first letter. Would you be open to moving to Ghana? She <laughs> writes back. <laughs> she writes back through the translation of her sister. If it's God's will, he writes back and says, yes, it's God's will. Marry me. She says, yes, they agree to get married. <laughs> they haven't even spoken, heard each other's voice. They haven't seen each other. Nothing. They surrender to the calling in their souls. My father ends up going to Japan, meets my mother for 45 minutes for the first time. They have chaperones because it's old school Japan. They agree to get married. My father goes on this lecture tour with the guru. It's a big sensation in the newspapers. It's announced in the newspapers that this, this African man is marrying this Japanese woman. And, uh, and sure enough, my father has to put on a Japanese wedding. A Japanese wedding is a sign of respect to the parents. My father doesn't have money by Japanese standards to throw a big wedding. You know, he's, his life is in service. God says to him in his meditation, just relax, just surrender, just trust. Six weeks later, he goes to his mailbox. True story. There is an envelope of $7,000 cash, US cash in 1975. Wow, US cash. It's, it's a lot back then. And it says, all it says, anonymous, no name. This is for your wedding. This is for your wedding. <laughs> they get married. They move to, to Africa weeks later and have me. And boom, here we are. And that was how they met. And it was a real 
process of surrender. Sometimes we have all of these ideas of, you know, whether it's, oh, I want to get married, the type of person we think we should be with, we write right. a whole list, a post abroad, she's got to be like this, he's got to be like that. And I yep. think many times with our intention, we're not aware that we are sometimes limiting the universe, we're sometimes limiting life, we are Absolutely. limiting the infinite intelligence that created us and birthed us into existence. And my father would ask me, do you think God, life, the infinite intelligence doesn't know what you need? Who are you to tell the life what you think you need? Life brought you here. How does life not know what you need? So your job, my father would always say, your job is not to tell life what you need. And true prayer is not to tell God what you need. True prayer is to listen, to be open to what life is seeking to express through you and live that. Right. And so I realized that surrender has really been the foundation of my life from the very beginning. No, it's, it really is amazing. But part of what I love about your book is I think it will resonate with a lot of people's ideas about their own lives. Um, I was, I knew the night I met my husband, I was going to marry him. And, and wow. there was nothing except the fact that I walked into a darkened room. It was a mm. mixer back in the, in the 60s. Uh, that's what you did. You went to mixers. And it was mm -hmm. quite dark, full of people. And there was one man sitting there looking miserable. And I knew, could see he was looking miserable because <laughs> he had a halo of light around his entire body. I don't kid that is exactly and so i walked over to him and started talking to him what do you do when you see one man in a darkened room with a halo of light and we talked all night and then the rest is history i've been married almost wow. 50 years wow. so 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 yes yeah, surrender to what you see i, I mean he was yes. he was not that perfect then he's not perfect now but um i have never doubted i was supposed to marry him and i've never been never doubted i was very happy being married to him and when it comes to surrendering everyone, yes. I tell everybody who asks me how they can find their life path, give mm. your life to God. Mm. I did this in April of 2019. Uh, no, mm. 2009. It goes back pretty far. And um, I, and I, I did it on, on what I thought was a whim. It was really, I know, my spirit guide who told me it was time. All I did was say, thank you for giving me work to do. And thank you for showing me how to do it. That's all mm. I said. Mm. And almost immediately, my public life doing this work began. I started writing The Fun of Dying, and one by one by one, all these things happened, and I accepted them. Every time a door opened, I walked through it, even if I, it wasn't my plan. None of this mm. has been my plan. Mm. But now we're in the process of doing um, what I've thought all along we wanted to do, which, which is a website dedicated to teaching about the afterlife and spiritual matters. Amazing. And the... <laughs> Your your life and my life are the same life, only mm. they're they're done in our own different ways. But I've done the same thing you've done. Mm -hmm. I've I've listened to the fact that I it, this not, none of us is in control. We pretend mm. we are. Oh, I'm yeah. going to marry the right person. I'm going to have this job or that job. We control nothing. Yeah. And that is really what you say in your book. You're not in yeah. control, so give it up. Give up the illusions. Yeah. that you're in control, that you can have this or that, or that it matters. Yeah. Instead, surrender, right? Surrender. surrender. Yeah, I just really want to clarify for people listening, because I think there's so many misconceptions about surrender yes. that we have that have been spun, that surrender has become like this 
negative thing you know surrender yes. has become this scary that. scary thing like it's like going to the dentist like who wants to go to the <laughs> dentist i don't want to surrender when surrender should be like love making versus going to the dentist you know yes. so so what <laughs> first right. i think what we have to realize is that we are all as human beings we are all in a process of surrender whether we are aware of it or not life itself is the process of surrender and we are being surrendered each moment even just growing older and aging and the body changing it's, it's just the process of surrender we we, we're going to have to surrender. We can surrender now, tomorrow, next life, 10, 20 lifetimes from now. But at a certain point, surrender is the nature of reality. It's the nature of the moment. It's the nature of life. And so I think it's not a matter, matter of if we surrender. It's a matter of how are we are we willing to to how are we willing to meet the moment and are we willing to participate? Are we going to resist or are we going to participate with the process of surrender and the process of surrendering to each moment? And so what I want to say, people sometimes say, oh, surrender is so hard. It's so difficult. It's so, you know, challenging. And I actually say that's, that we, we have to reframe even the way we hold surrender as being so tough and difficult. To me, surrender is actually the easiest and most natural thing. Yes. So to surrender is just an exhale. Surrender is wired into our physiology. You breathe in and you have to breathe out. That's life reminding us the nature of life, which is surrender. And so to breathe out, to let go, if you're holding on to something and we've become so conditioned to hold on, hold on, hold on, out of control, out of the illusion of control, the desire to control, the, the, the unconscious protective mechanism to keep ourselves safe and not feel certain feelings and, and to get certain needs met, we've been conditioned to force and control things and hold on. But the truth is to just open one's palm and let go is actually yeah. most natural. And so there's a misconception about surrender, it's that surrender is weak, that surrender is to be a doormat, that surrender is means you'll get taken advantage of, that it's a passive thing, that it's laziness, that you'll be left behind, you're, you're gonna be, you won't be able to manifest your goals, dreams and desires if you surrender. I'm actually saying no. I'm saying that surrender is the most powerful thing you can do. It is the key to the great ones. It's the key to Jesus, Buddha, Bob Marley, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King, you know, Greta Thunberg, Oprah, Elon Musk, you name it, love them, hate them. Great ones, they all at some moment have to surrender that I believe yes. that it is the password to freedom. So what I'm really inviting people to think about is if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more, more joy, yes, more love, more it. than you could actually imagine and project yes. and write down in your journal or your vision board, more than you could imagine with your limited mental ego. So surrender first, as you were saying, is to let go of control or at least the illusion of control because control is a master addiction and control is really an illusion. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's just reminding us we were not as in control as we thought we were. And so control is letting, a surrender is letting go of this idea of control. And it is, it is to stop trying to control every little thing in our life. It is to stop trying to force and manipulate our life to fit our limited idea of how we think it should be. It is to let go of uh, the idea of who we think we should be and the idea of how we think our life should look so that we can truly open ourselves to the deepest impulse, the deepest expression, the deepest movement of how life is seeking to manifest itself through us. And when we truly surrender and we open to life, we take limits off of life. We stop negotiating with life. We open ourselves to the, to, to the infinite possibilities of life. Then we live in a zone of magic and miracles. And then we stop, we're, we're actually getting ourselves out 
of the way. To me, that is the magic. Then life, then we, we, we no longer are the ones manifesting our life. Then we tap into another dimension and life begins to move through us and manifest through us. So just to leave people with this in terms of a definition, understanding of surrender, to get a clear grasp, the old paradigm and way of living is all about an ego-based model of living yes. and creating one's life, which right. is all about, Roberta, like, what do I want to make happen? What do I yes. want to create? What do I want? We always and, think and, too small. Yes. And we, and we, and we think too small. And, and, and look, I will admit, you can create and manifest a good life making things happen. Lots of people have made great lives happen, become very successful, become wealthy, but I found you will end up limiting a good life or a limited life. Because even, here's what I found, even when you achieve what you thought you wanted, number one, you reach a point of dissatisfaction. Number yep. two, quite often, what we thought we wanted is really not what we really wanted. It's just what we thought we wanted based on who we thought we were. And even yes. those goals, dreams, and desires that we're seeking to make happen, I want X, Y, Z, sometimes can be projections of unmet needs from our childhood that we're projecting, thinking if I can just, you know, maybe dad wasn't around, I wasn't made important, I was bullied growing up, I felt unloved, not enough. So if I can just achieve that million dollars, that house, that this, that fame, then I'm going to be enough. And I, yes, I say yes. nothing It'll outside. It'll finally nothing. be enough, and it never yes. is. Nothing I'd, outside I'd like to makes us give enough. you a quotation from my my favorite, my new favorite spiritual book. Surrender is what happens when you take all the conditions off of life and stop trying to control everything. Yes. It's only then that you get everything, and the everything is more than you could have planned for yourself. That is certainly wonderfully the truest thing anybody ever said. He says, surrender plus trust equals magic. Control plus resistance, which is where most people are, equals suffering. Yes. That's, Nobody that's, that's ever said anything wiser than those things, Coot. Absolutely yeah. not. That is the most beautiful thing I think I have read because it is so true. And I only know it's true because I've lived it myself. I've seen it in others. And as I say, I've lived a lot longer than you have. <laughs> and you're the first person who's distilled it for me. Yeah, I really wanted to make surrender exciting and surrender active and surrender an active process and make it simple. See, I want people to ask themselves the question, not what do I want, but to ask themselves this question. What is it that life is seeking to express through me? What is it that life is seeking to manifest through me? What is it that life is seeking to create through me? And to feel one's deepest truth and then align with one's deepest aliveness, authenticity, and then move in that direction. So what I just want to make clear is that surrender is not laziness. Surrender doesn't mean not giving 100% and taking action and just sitting on your couch. It means feeling what your most authentic truth is, feeling the deepest expression of what your soul is seeking to move through you, to align yourself with that. And then your actions are in alignment. And then you give 100%, give everything you've got, give 100%, like Jesus, like Gandhi, like Muhammad Ali, like Mother Teresa, like Martin Luther King, give everything you've got, but don't be attached. Don't be so attached to the outcome. Surrender yes. is being open, is living in that openness, and also being curious. This way, when th if things don't work out, the way we thought they were going to work out, then we can stay curious rather than collapsing into frustration or resistance. Yes, then, then we yes. can stay curious and trust that it, life is always seeking to work something better out 
something for us that's even better on our behalf, even though we can't yes. see it right now. And the curiosity is the openness to, uh, to see, wow, what is, what is life seeking to do here? What is life seeking to manifest here? And that's, that's the surrender. The surrender is the openness and the availability to allowing life to show us, allowing life to lead us. But it also does mean we step up and give everything we've got. The most important thing I have found in, and I've, without having read your book, I've, this is how I've been living my life for the past 20 years. Um, the, the most important thing I would tell people is when you live your life this way, really live your life the way Kuda is talking about living your life, mm, mm, you mm. never worry about anything. Nothing mm. is a setback. You just go, oh, how interesting. If something that would have looked to someone else like a setback happens, it, it doesn't set you back because you know, mm. in my case, I know I'm doing what God wants me to do. And that's the most important thing to me. But in your case, maybe you just need, need to know that you're living your deepest purpose. That's what his mother, his mother died of cancer not long ago. And that's what she said to him. You know, she had lived her purpose, her life. Mm -hmm. Absolutely right. She had no regrets about it, even though it was not necessarily a, mm -hmm. a contented marriage, perhaps, mm -hmm. but she knew it was the right thing. And that's what you feel when you start living this way. You never get upset about things anymore. Yeah. That's part of the beauty of it. This book Absolutely. has seven chapters. Um, yes. We aren't going to get more through more than one or two today, but that's all right. We're going to do this again. Um, but the first one is called Ego. And I'd like you to talk about Ego because that's the first thing. In order for us to get anywhere, we've got to tame our Egos because our Egos are not a bad thing, and but they're more useful when we're children to keep us alive long enough to, be, to grow up. By the time we're adults, we don't really need them because we are living from a much deeper level. So they've got to be tamed or else they will try protecting us by making us live the life that we think we want, which is not necessarily the life that we really need and it will really resonate. So, so talk about the ego. Yeah, the ego is really not a thing. It is a process. It's a process of identification. The sense of identification based on name, based on body, based on history, based on memories, based on trauma, based on experiences and conditioning that from the past. And so the sense of identifying with all of those things as me, it, the collection of that is what is called the ego and it's who we think we are. The ego, just, just to give people a sense, is created from a very young age, starting the moment we're born because we get identified in certain ways through the process of conditioning. We're born free, we're born, you know, a child that is in touch with the divine doesn't have a very strong ego. They're, they, they feel connected, interconnected, oneness with life and they're in touch with their essence. They're not so identified with labels and stories and memories. And so a child is not so self-conscious. The more we're holding on to our sense of self, the more in ego we are. A child will jump on a table, doesn't care, is free, is alive, doesn't know, am I Christian? Am I Buddhist? Am I black? Am I white? A child is just beingness, right? And I think yes. that's when we look at a child, we're reminded of our pure essential nature. But two things happen as children. We meet our parents and slowly we begin to get conditioned. The conditioning process that starts identifying us to all of these factors begin to come into play. And so the first thing is maybe we were born into a certain dysfunction and our, pa our dad wasn't around, our mom was our mom, our mom was alcoholic, our dad was abusive, they weren't around, they weren't emotionally available. So first thing is we learned to shut down, disconnect and not feel. And we started to 
suppress our feelings and emotions and split off from parts of ourselves in order to just function and survive and deal with perhaps some of the dysfunctional, the pain around us. Then we started to learn a way of being to, to uh, the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love and validation from my parents, from my loved ones. For me, I thought I needed to be the perfect son, the, the responsible one, the leader, the perfect person, you know, get all lays. This was my identity that I created and the ego structure I became based on who I thought I needed to be to get love. And so, so, so to avoid pain, to get love, we hold tightly into this pattern of creation that we've become. And we think, ah, this is me. But the degree to which we hold on to this, this pattern and the story that has gotten created to avoid pain and get love as me is really what ego is. And so part of freedom, part of surrender is to begin letting go. Part of why we're so afraid to surrender and let go is because there's a fear of if I, if I let that idea go, if I let that belief go, if I let that story go, if I let that go, then the ego is afraid that, well, who will I, who will I be if I don't right. believe who am that? I? Who, exactly. who, who, who will I be? Who will I be if I don't do in my life? Because part of the job of the ego is to reinforce its existence and identity. Part yeah. of how it reinforces its existence and identity is being the doer. That's why there's an impulse <laughs> inside of us that always has to do and make things happen. Yes. And I'm, I'm the one doing, 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 doing. And I can't stop doing. I can't just relax because if I stop <laughs> doing, then the ego, the ego, that sense of self feels like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh, I, I won't I won't exist so I have to start doing and we create drama and we create oh, busyness and we create bad. all this stuff so that yes. we have the sense of doing but see even Jesus said it's an interesting quote from Jesus in the Bible he would he would say it, and this is a secret of surrender to me it's not I that does the work it's the father to me the father yes. is the mother the mother is the consciousness life the infinite intelligence the flow the universe that does life and so when we start realizing that I am not the doer which is very scary for the ego, I am not the doer, then we can get ourselves out, out of the way. So we have to first begin questioning, who am I really? The more we identify with the sense of ego, sense of belief structure and stories and personality, the more limited we are, the more locked in limitation that we are, the less free we are, the less open we are, the less able we are to surrender to the flow of life. And that is part of the resistance and the fear of the ego, which, which is why as human beings, it can be so scary to surrender because the ego, the, the sense of self we think we are, feels like, uh-oh, if I surrender, I won't exist anymore and, yeah. I'm going to, and I will die. But when we understand and we question, what will die? Who am I really? Am I just this body? Am I just my stories? Am I just my emotions? Am I just my, am I simply my beliefs? It, or am I more? Am I an intangible energy in essence of consciousness that is beyond feelings and beyond stories? You see, stories come and go, beliefs come and go, feelings come and go. Am, am, am I simply those feelings or am I more? When we begin to unravel and look deeper and realize that what we are is not simply those things. What we are is eternal. What we are is energy. What we are is consciousness. What we are is beyond birth and beyond death then we can start surrendering into what we are and letting letting go. And that's part of the process of the willingness to question, who am I really? And that's part of the beginning of the book and the beginning 
of surrender. Yeah. One, of, one of the things that people can also do as a beginning to surrender, I say that one of the things that stops people from surrendering are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. In so many ways, we, are, we lie to ourselves about who we are, about what we want, about what we feel. We stay in relationships that aren't right because we've become comfortable in them. And we, our sense of ego feels a sense of safety inside of a certain relationship or old way of doing things or a comfort zone. And so to let go, to question, is very threatening to our sense of identity. And so one of the first levels of surrender is we live in denial. We're just unconscious or we're in denial as a way to preserve our sense of meanness, identity, ego yes. structure. But then we start questioning and, and that questioning freaks the ego out. So we start to resist. Then we start resisting. Then the next phase is we begin to negotiate. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I can still hold on to that and be, and be happy. But there comes a moment where we have to move beyond negotiation to acceptance. We have to move into deep acceptance. That is a profound phase in, in the evolution of surrender. But what I wanna say is acceptance is not surrender. Surrender, you see, is the full open-hearted participation with whatever is happening. It's yes. open-hearted participation with life as it's happening, even if it's challenging, knowing that everything is working for our good, but also knowing that everything has an evolutionary soul lesson that we can learn. When we realize that, then we can surrender to the lesson, even if it's challenging. But what I will say is to really move into surrender, here is the key that I think people can take away that is often not talked about. The key to surrender, you see surrender is a death. Surrender is a letting go of an idea. Surrender is a letting go of a relationship, letting go of a dream. The key to surrender is grieving. Many people miss the step of grieving. Grieving is to allow yourself to feel the feeling of letting go, to allow yourself to feel the feeling of the relationship is over. All feelings remain present until fully felt. And one of the reasons that many times we don't, we're not able to fully embrace surrender and move on and open to the new energy is because we're so busy resisting or holding on to the old and resisting the grief. We sometimes resist the grief because we're afraid that if I allow myself to grieve, it will last forever. I won't be able to cope. Or we do a spiritual bypass because we want to be in a high vibration. So I want to be in a high vibration. So let me let me avoid the grief, but we don't realize that all feelings remain present till fully felt and all feelings that aren't felt in a healthy, conscious, awake, aware way often expresses in an unhealthy way. So when we're able to feel the grief and honor the grief of the letting go, honor the grief of things not working out, honor the grief of moving into a new stage of one's life from, from you know, uh, puberty to adulthood, from adulthood to, you know, as, as we just move on to a different stage of one's life, when we honor the grief, then we're able to, to let go. We're able to release. We're able to let go of the old energy and open to the new. Grieving is a portal to true, authentic, open-hearted surrender where we're able to embrace the new and what has happened. Beautifully said. The thing to understand about ego is, and this is something we talk about um, often mm. on Seek Reality, fear-based versus love-based. Ego mm. is purely fear-based. Every, every emotion that your ego makes you feel is based in fear. So on, as an adult, it's unhealthy to be responding to your ego anyway. It, it's counter to your own spiritual development and spiritual growth. Also, if you have trouble dealing with your ego, one of the things you can do is to um, go to a, and of course, in miracles study group. Um, that was where I got control of my ego and it mm. works pretty well. The ego basically makes you a whole lot more scared 
and then you have your breakthrough and then it never troubles you again. And since I've been through it, I can recommend it. It works extremely well. But until you have done something, go through the grieving, do the things, whatever you have to do, until you've done something to conquer your ego, it's very hard for you really to grow spiritually and have the wonderful, wonderful growth that, which is the reason why we all come to earth. That was beautiful. I can't wait to do the other six chapters, but we're not going to have time to do them today. So um, we're we're going to, I hope you won't mind if we make this a regular thing for a little while. Anytime, anytime, please let me know when. What do you want people to take away from coming to know you? What, What is it you're trying most to help people find, discover, understand about themselves? Wow, I just want people to remember that they, who they really are. Because I think when we remember who and what we really are, fear drops away. When we remember who and what we really are, then and we surrender to that. Then we move into a new dimension of living, a new flow. Then we move beyond uh, manipulating our life and controlling our life and trying to make things happen and forcing our life. Then we move into a real dimension of surrender. And that's when life begins to really live us and manifest through us. And I believe that what life, this intelligent energy of life that has been around for billions and billions of years, what life can do through you is more than anything you can do on your own. And for those that may not believe, look what life did through Jesus. Look what life did through Buddha. Look what life did through Mandela and Martin Luther King and Gandhi and many, many of the great ones. When they truly surrendered, they tapped into the higher dimension of infinite possibilities and life began to move through them and use them beyond their own human limitations and capacity. That is the magic. Surrender is the most powerful thing you can do. It's the password to freedom. And if you want more magic, you have to surrender. And the degree of miracles and magic you will experience in your life is in direct proportion with the level of surrender you experience and unfold within yourself and in your life. So I just invite everyone, surrender big and watch what happens. And watch what happens, exactly. One of the things I I hear from people every day, um, and one of the things some people will, will, will say in various ways is that they're ready to give everything over and become famous and become successful and all of the things. Um, mm. You know, I mean, we, we aspire to be a Martin Luther King Jr. and we aspire to be a, a Gandhi, but that doesn't necessarily have to be our path in order for us to live a wildly successful and extremely happy life. Mm-hmm. Um, we all ha- are on different paths. Not everybody's going to be famous, not everybody's going to have money, but none of that matters. We, we live for a minute. And this minute is not that long. And Mm. and then we have an eternity in which to be joyous about that, how we use that minute. It Mm. it doesn't, the the things of the earth don't matter at all. The things of the spirit are all that matters. And Mm. the things of the spirit are not found inside a religion. They are found inside ourselves. And what I love about Coot's book is that he shows you how to accept and find joy in those truths. And it's just it's we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with this, you and I, because um, because we have a lot to talk about. Mm. Uh, anyway, thank you so much. Please consider yourself hugged, my dear. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. And I'd love to come on any time. Look forward to connecting with all those listening. Yeah, wow. Well, th- that, this has been great. I'm so glad you were with us. But we've come to, we've come to the end of our time again. 
Please, everyone, never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And when you understand that on a deeper level, and this book can help you do that, it's going to change everything in your life for the better. Next world, this is an, it's an embarrassment of riches. Our guest next week will be our wonderful and glorious friend, Dr. R. Craig Hogan, and he'll be with us for the 32nd time in eight years. Craig is the world's leading overall expert on death, the afterlife, the greater reality where it all happens. And he's really done himself this year. He's written five books. Every one of them is a winner. And we're going to talk about his newest one next week. Um, every conversation we've ever had with Craig Hogan has been unique, amazing, and everyone has raved about it afterwards. So please be sure to join us next week. And today we've been speaking with Coop Laxon, and his new book is called The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. As I've said, he is he has written the best spiritual book for modern Western people that I have wow. ever read. Wow. It's not long, but it's deep and it's wise beyond his years. And um, I'd say far beyond his years, like by maybe a thousand years. It's a fresh, bold look at spiritual awareness for the new generation, but his book is full of all the basic universal truths for all generations. Mm. He's had an interesting past, born in Ghana. His, his father is African. His mother is Japanese or was Japanese when she was with us. And um, he, he's the, the spiritual mix, I think, of, of many, many generations of wisdom in very different cultures. He received the 2019 Walden Award and New Thought, the New Thought Wisdom category. And um, many people who have won that whose names you would know, and yet he's won it too when he was very young. He wants to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access their inner freedom, live authentically and fulfill their true life's purpose. And yes, you have one. It may not make you famous, but it will make you fulfilled, complete and joyous beyond your ability to imagine it. So please give yourself the gift of savoring this amazing book. And yes, we will have him back again as soon as we can find the time. We tend to be booked far ahead. And um, and we'll talk about the rest of his book because all of it deserves the kind of depth we've, we've given to just the first, the introduction in the first chapter. So um, everyone, meanwhile, we've come to the end of our time. As you know, I have books too, Liberating Jesus by Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together Soon, the fun of loving Jesus, embracing the Christianity that Jesus taught. And we're not far away from that one now. For children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus. And you can find my books on Amazon in adult in, in bookstores. You can find the um, adult books all on as audiobooks. And if you ever want to talk to me about anything, don't hesitate to contact me through the green contact block um, on robertagrimes.com. I do answer my emails. Mm. And everyone, this is this is the end of our time, sorry to say. So please have a wonderful week this week. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Enjoy and make the most of this week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being. And you, in particular, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.